Welcome to Rock Springs Church. We are in Revelation chapter 5, the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. If you're not sure where it is, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Yeah, this, uh, this, we've been in Revelation for several Sundays now. It kind of started with opening that door to heaven and what does it look like. And so as we get to uh, chapter 5, it's, um, well, the whole book is exciting, but we get to another piece that's really exciting about, about Jesus, and we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Revelation chapter 5, <clears throat> beginning verse 1. It says, Then I saw, okay, let's stop right there, saw. Then I saw. You know, there are things that we can see, and there are things that we can't see, uh, but the things that we see that God wants us to see are the things that we want to see. We ask for them. Uh, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. Isn't that what he said? He said, actually in the Greek it means keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. God will reveal things to you when you're ready to have them revealed to you. God will reveal things to you when you want them to be revealed. But God's just not going to show you something just because he has the ability to show you something. <clears throat> Any more than I would give my car keys to my daughter when she was six. Right? Amen? Or oh me. Now, she wanted them when she was six. She had a go-kart when she was six. And after watching her drive the go-kart, there's no way I was going to give her the car keys. Okay? If she were here, she could testify to that. She would put her brother in that go-kart and drive around the big backyard we have and sling him out. He would just go flying. I had to make seat belts for him. That didn't even work. Then she would run into a tree just for the fun of it. Bam! She loved going fast. That was where her tickets came from later on in life. And she paid them in full by herself. Then I saw there are so many things that God wants us to see. But we have to be in a position to see them. Just like there are things that God wants us to hear. But we have to be willing to listen. To sit still for a little bit. And just say, God, I'm, I'm sitting here. I'd like to hear what you have to tell me. God, I'd like to see. So here we have John, right? John who wrote down the testimony of Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is. It's his testimony. John's writing down. It says, I saw, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, God is not a man who has a hand or a foot or an ear or a nose or an eye however for john's sake god revealed himself with a hand with hands and feet and so forth and so on he looked like a, a person now that shouldn't surprise us jesus did exactly the same thing that's called the incarnation that's when jesus incarnated he took upon himself flesh there jesus was he said i can show myself to the disciples of who I really am, which would be a spirit and it would scare them. Remember the story of Jesus walking on the water and it came to him? They said it looked like a spirit. Well, he had manifested in some other form and it scared the life out of them, right? And they, matter of fact, they, they just screamed, the Bible said. They screamed out, ah, what's coming on the water? They were scared. Jesus showed, but when he put on flesh, they like, okay, you're like a human. I, I see that. And so John is having this vision in heaven and he's seen things he's never seen before in his life. And so God says, I'm going to make it a little easier for him to understand what's going on. So he reveals himself as a person sitting on the throne. 
God doesn't need a throne to sit on. There's not a throne in heaven like we think of a throne, like a king or a queen would sit on here on earth. But for our sake, he does that. Isn't that amazing? How much does God do for us for our benefit? The Bible says that God stoops down to make us great. God stoops down to make us great. That's just like our Father. He wants us to understand Him. Now, I used to play hide-and-seek with my kids when they were small and with my grandkids when they were small. And we would, one of their favorite games is hide-and-seek. And sometimes I would hide real good where they couldn't find me, but sometimes I would hide with my foot sticking out behind the curtain or my toe sticking out the door in the closet, right? Or my hand hanging onto the side of the door frame with the closet door closed with just my little finger sticking out, right? Why would I do that? I wanted them to find me. Because they would giggle and laugh, do it again, Papa, do it again, right? And God leaves symbols and signs of himself all over so we can find him. He says, the heavens declare, the heavens declare who I am. If you'll just look at the stars and the sun, the moon, you will see who I am. And today, if you'll look through Hubble Telescope, and all these other great telescopes we have in space now that are giving us these amazing pictures. You have to look and say, that wasn't random. That was not random. God did that. So John looked and he said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now the scroll John would have seen if, if God were showing him something he was familiar with would have been a papyrus type material which was a reed that grew in water uh, it could be 20 feet tall and with six feet of it underwater and they would take strips of this and they would lay it vertically side by side and then they would lay strips horizontally across it and then they would take a hammer and beat it right beat it down till it was smooth right and then they would treat it with some water from the Nile River and then it kind of bake and that would be papyrus and that's what they would write on and a scroll most of us have never handled a scroll. And, uh, but if you read about it, a scroll could be two or three feet long, depending on how long the book was. It could be 10 or 11 feet long, depending on how long the book was. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah as a scroll might have been 11 feet. You know, the guy, the guy from Ethiopia who was uh, riding in his chariot, and Philip went and talked to him in Acts chapter 8. He was reading from a scroll, this big giant scroll. And the way you read a scroll was you unfurled it from the right hand and you rolled it back up at the left hand and you read <coughs> Well, John saw this scroll in the hand of God. Now, I want to stop with scroll for a minute. This is beautiful. Don't, don't miss this. This is beautiful. There's a scroll that's got everything that's going to happen in the end times written on it. And not only is it written on the front, it's written on the back. So somebody that has a lot to say who wrote a scroll back in the day would write on both sides of the scroll. Right? Just like we write on both sides of our paper today, they would write on both sides if there was a lot to say. And I just think this is beautiful. The future that we're heading toward at some point has already been written. Right? So the, the future was written from the past, and the past is written from the future. It's one of those wow things when you think about it. We think about our past that is the family we're born into, will direct our future. And it does. But we also know that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world, which is way past our creation, right? 
And so the scroll was already written before John ever saw it. I believe there's a scroll for your life. Emily, there's a scroll for your life, right? And it's, and it's written. And God wants us to see what he has planned for us. He wants us to unroll the scroll that he's got planned for us and say, read this, Mary, read this. I've got something planned for you tomorrow. That's what Jesus did. Jesus woke up every day and said, Dad, what are we going to do today? And he sat still and he listened. And Dad says, well, we're just going to rest today. And Jesus was like, that's great because I'm tired. And then some days he would say, we're going to go heal some people today. And, and by the way, uh, in the afternoon, you're going to walk on the water. And Jesus was like, that's cool, Dad. That's great. They're going to love this one. And the father would say, and we're going to mess with the disciples a little bit. We're going to send them out in the boat. It's going to be a storm. I'm going to send a storm down there. They're going to be scared to death, and they're not going to want to do. And he would plan the day. The scroll is written. Some days are rest. Some days we don't do anything for God. And that may be a week or two. And that's okay. That's, that's Dad's prerogative. The pieces aren't in place for us to do something on that particular day. So when you wake up in the morning, and it doesn't seem like God's at work in your life on that day, just ask him, Dad, are we going to do anything today? He might say, no, today's a day of rest for you. And that's fine. But he also might say, we got a lot to do today. We need to, we need to get up early and get busy. All right? Let's get busy. So here's a scroll. And it's already written down. It's already planned. The future's there for us. And it's written on both sides. So there's a lot going on. And it's sealed with seven seals. Seven is the number of what? Perfection. Right? Completion. Perfection. And so it's, it's completed. That's what, that's what the seven means there. And I saw, here we are seeing again, I saw a mighty angel. I've never in the Bible seen anywhere where it uses a, uh, a word before angel that says a wimpy angel. A little fat chubby baby angel. Never seen that. They're always mighty warriors, right? I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, I won't use my loud voice in here. I do have one that I can use, but I won't because it will hurt your ears. <laughs> Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls? So you got the angel standing there. Who's worthy? Who, who's, who, who's got this? Who's got this assignment? I want to know. Who wants to get off the bench and come up here and play in this game? Who's ready? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that's everybody, could open the scroll or even look inside it. Nobody could open the scroll. Nobody was ready to hear what was in the scroll. Nobody was worthy. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. You know, sometimes I think we weep too early. I think we grieve too early. We're, we're sad too early. Something happens and we... We start grieving or worrying and build up with anxiety and frustrated and blaming God for something. And we, we just, I think sometimes we're a little too early in our grief, just a little too early. And God is saying, hang on, hang on. I've got this written. Hang on, I've got this written. And so we find John, we find he's weeping. I want to see what's in the scroll. I want to know what's next. I want to know what God has to say. Please tell me. He's, he's upset. Sometimes we need to push the pause button and say, God, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to grieve. I'm not going to weep. I'm just going to wait for a minute. 
and see what happens. Don't be quick to rush to anxiety. Don't be quick to rush to fear, right? Just be patient just a little bit longer, right? Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Don't weep. Was there any other time in the Bible where somebody said don't weep when they were anxious about something about to happen? Anybody remember? His, his name starts with a J. Jesus. Remember, that's always the answer when I ask you a question. Jesus, right? Jesus. Remember the, um, the widow who lived in the town of Nain, N-A-I-N? You know, her son had, had passed away, and, and uh, he was weeping, and Jesus said, don't weep, I've got this. Don't, don't weep, I've got this. And do you remember the, the fellow named Jairus, whose daughter was about to die, right? Like 12 years old, she was about to die. He came to Jesus weeping, and Jesus said, don't, don't weep. Don't weep, I, I got this. I got this. Sometimes I think we, we weep too early. I'm not saying we shouldn't weep. Don't hear me say that at all. I'm not saying we shouldn't mourn or grieve, and I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that sometimes our emotions get ahead of our faith. And we just need to take a step back and say, I think this is an emotion that I'm feeling. And this is not, this is not what it seems to be. Right? So this week, when you, when you get that bump in the road and it feels like, oh, this, this isn't right, just stop and pause a minute. And say, God, I'm not going to weep for just a moment. I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to weep. I'm going to wait and see what you do. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Man, if you want to see something fierce, watch lions on the Discovery <coughs> Channel. Man, you don't want to mess with a lion. You don't want to mess with a female lion in particular. They're the ones that hunt. You know, they go hunt and bring it back to the, to the old man and say, here, here's your antelope, you know, whatever it is. But, but what, an antelope sandwich? No. Yeah. Right. You don't want to mess with a lion. You really don't. The lion of the tribe of Judah. So the lion represents the strength and the majesty of God. And he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. That is, he was from David's lineage. You know, Jesse had a son named David and so forth and so on down to Jesus. Uh, he has triumph. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, how did Jesus triumph? What price did Jesus pay so that he could open the scroll and be worthy to open the scroll? Died on the cross for your sins. Okay? He died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for all the sins of the world. That's the price that Jesus paid. You see, you were guilty. You were guilty. But Jesus said, I got this. I got this. You know, it's, it's no different than me driving down the road and getting pulled over by the police, speeding, right? And the officer writes me a ticket, and I say, thank you, officer, because that's what you say to an officer of the law. You don't argue. You don't complain. You don't make up some stupid story. You know, like my microwave's running. I got to get back home and turn it off, you know. You say, yes, sir, right? Thank you, officer. I appreciate everything you do for our community. 
thank you for that ticket that's going to cost me $600, right? You say thank you. That's what you do to an officer of the law. You can kick yourself for going speeding. But you show up in court and you got the ticket. And the judge says that's $600, Jim, or 30 days in jail. And I say, well, I'm an important man. I I can't spend 30 days in jail. I got kids. I got grandkids. I got a church. And I got all this stuff going on. Well, $600 in. I don't have $600. Well, it's 30 days in jail. And the judge is about to slam his gavel down and say, take this man to jail because I don't have $600. Then Richard Hodges shows up. He's standing there with me. said, uh, he said, uh, Judge, what's the fee? What's the fine? He said, $600. And so Richard reaches in his pocket and he pays the judge $600. And the judge slams his gavel down and says, the fine has been paid. The case is closed. You're free to go. Now, who was speeding? Me. Who deserved to pay the fine? Me, because I was speeding. Who paid the fine? Richard, because Richard's a nice guy, right? He paid the fine. That's what happened to us. I was sinning in my life. I stood before the judge, and the judge says, I need, uh, I need all of your blood for all the sins of the world. I need you to live a perfect life, or you're going to die and go to hell. Well, I can't live a sinless life. I've already sinned. Well, I'm sorry, then you're going to go to hell. Jesus steps in and says, Dad, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. I will die and shed all of my blood on the cross so that Jim can go free. The judge slams his gavel down and says, case is closed. You're free to go, Jim. That's what salvation is. That's what Jesus did. That's how he triumphed, and that's why he triumphed. It's because God so loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He triumphed. He's the only person that could triumph to open the scroll. And to see what the future holds. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Right. Because he is triumph. Then. I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. Standing in the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures. And the elders. Right. Who do we know as a lamb? Jesus. Right. John uses the word lamb of God. Quite often, both in the book of John and in the book of Revelation. Remember, John wrote both of those. John wrote both of those books. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So John did a lot of writing for us. Okay? He also wrote that. He said, I saw a lamb look as if it had been slain because it had been slain. Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, the scripture says. And what does that mean? That means in the very beginning, God knew that man was going to sin and need a savior. And so the plan was written in the scroll. It was written down a long time ago that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. Before we were ever created, the plan was in place. What what kind of father is that? That's an amazing father. He is loving and he is strong. Psalm 62, right? Verse 11. He is loving and he is strong. Before this world was ever created, there was a plan. Before this ever... Before this world was ever created, there was a plan for you. (laughs) Amen? Isn't that exciting? Come on now. Come on now. God thought about you humpty billion years ago. Or as my granddaughter would say, a trillion years ago. Right? He thought about you, Barbara. He said, I've got Barbara playing. And I've got her. She's going to do this and this for me and this for me. And 
Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Jesus died for us. But yet he's, he's alive. He's resurrected because he's standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures. Remember we talked about all kind of creatures in heaven. This is the four living creatures. You know, one that had the face of a lion, one that had the face of an ox, one that had the face of a man, one that had the face of an eagle, right? That's a whole other sermon there. They're around the creatures, the creatures around the throne, and the elders are there. Now, this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Now, that's a crazy-looking animal, wouldn't you say? If you ran into that, would you be happy or scared? scared. Would you run? Yep. I would. I don't know about you. I'd take off, man. Something like that come at me. It's like, wow. So what does that mean? They're the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Right? You know, seven, once again, is completion. It's the number of completions. Some of the things in the book of Revelation are symbolic. Right? They're symbolic. They, they mean something other than what they say. And what it's saying is, is that all the all the power, uh, all the majesty of God is, is represented in this lamb who is Jesus. Right? He's completed with the seven spirits. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. There's something about, about worshiping on our face, Right? Falling down before God and worshiping Him. Try it sometimes. When you're in one of those places in your life and you're at home, maybe by yourself, just lay on your face before God. Cry out to Him. That's what the elders did. They just, they just laid face down and said, they, they were worshiping is what they were doing. And they fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of Cheetos. What, what do you put in your bowls at home? Do you put Cheetos? Or, you like those little scoops? You know? Do what? It's all good? Yeah, yeah. Put grapes in the bowls, right? Well, these elders were holding a harp in one hand. They were... These guys are really good. They could put a harp in one hand and hold a bowl in the other hand, right? Each one, they fell down before the lamb, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Wow. Wow. You go over to chapter 8, and you can also find this same thought. They were holding golden bowls, which represent the prayers of saints. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, some of the great passages that goes along with this. I want to tell you something. Your prayers matter. I don't care what your prayer is like. I don't care what your prayer life is like. Whether you think it's good or bad, or even if you, you just mumble a, a prayer over a meal, and that's all you do all week long, it matters. Now, I would hope you pray more than over a meal. I really do. Prayer is just simply talking to God. You talk to God anywhere, anytime. But it matters. It winds up in front of God. Now, we don't burn incense. You know, back in the 70s, we burned incense. I don't know that people burn incense much anymore, but that was the thing to do, burn incense and turn on your black light, right? And other things. George could tell us about a few of those, but I won't, make, I won't put him on the spot. 
We don't think about burning incense. What does incense mean? It's an aroma, something you smell that comes up before God. But once again, this is symbolic. It means that our prayers come before God, His very presence. Right? And He enjoys our prayers. He's grateful for our prayers. It, it blesses Him. That's, that's what the incense is doing here. Is God, it's, our prayers matter. They collect in God's presence. And they come before Him as an offering. These bowls are being presented as an offering to God. Here are the prayers of Christians around the world. Isn't that beautiful? Your prayers matter. Your prayers get beyond the ceiling. Don't ever let anybody convince you that you've got to pray the right way and they don't get through the ceiling. You know, 15 years ago or so, 20 years ago, whenever it was, some preachers came out and said, God does not hear the prayers of the Jewish nation. God does not hear the prayers of the Jews. That's just a lie. That's a lie. God hears all of his children talking to him all the time. He does. Your prayers are important. Keep talking to God. Whether you hear back, whether it's answered, don't, don't gauge your prayer life by that. Gauge your prayer life by the time you spend with God. Right? And the, your communion with him. And they sang a new song. So you got these elders, you got the creatures around the throne, you got all the angels hanging around that are singing the song. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out there's at least 100 million angels. That's what it says 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands upon thousands. 100 million angels, 200 million angels. We don't know how many million angels there are. There's a lot singing. And they sang, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Um, a couple of things that, that I want to mention about this today, about Jesus. The first thing is, when I read this scripture and interpret it, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Jesus is the creator of the universe. As a matter of fact, in Colossians 1.16, uh, the Bible says he created everything for him. And in him, he holds it all together. Right? He holds it all together. Jesus is the creator of the universe. So when we look at creation, and we talk about fortitude here, the four things, right? F-O-U-R, fortitude. Love God, love yourself, love others, and love creation, right? Jesus created all of it. And when we see him standing as one slain and able to take the scroll, we're thankful for this creation. I'm thankful he created all of you. I love each and every one of you. I like all of you. Well, there's one person. No, I do. <laughs> I like all of you. I really do. I like everybody that comes to this church. Absolutely. Love everybody that comes to this church. You're part of God's creation, right? Well, Jesus is the creator of the universe. Secondly, Jesus is the center of all history. Jesus is the center of all history. When 9-11 happened, America went nuts, right? And we all thought that that was the center of the universe. And I can remember how intense it was. I remember where I was when my daughter called me and said, Dad, have you got the TV on? I know. You need to turn the TV on. Something bad's happening. And we all know what happened after that. And everybody thought it was... Center of the year, we thought Jesus was coming back again because 
Several buildings in our country got, got hit by airplanes, right? That's what we thought. Because we as Americans are so egocentric, we're so narcissistic as a Western culture, we think everything revolves around us. And you see it more and more every day, particularly on the Internet and other places. But we need to remind ourselves, we're not the center of the universe. We're not the, we're not the center of history. I'm not the center of history. 9-11 is not the center of history. No other date you can think of is the center of history. Jesus Christ and him alone, he's the center of all history. Everything, everything revolves around him. All, all of history revolves around him. If, if he was slain before the foundation of the world, right? He was from the beginning of history. And if he's going to be at the end of all history, he's, he's there, right? Jesus is the center of all history. He's the lamb that was slain. Third thing is, Jesus is the circumference. That's a big word for you. Jesus is the circumference of all of life. He is the alpha and the omega. You take a marker right now and draw a circle on this floor and stand in it. And Jesus is there. You take another marker and put a marker up here on the front part of this room. And you stand in that circle and Jesus is there. He's the circumference of all of life. There's no circle that you can enter that Jesus is not there. It says in Psalm 139, if I go to the heights, he's there. If I go to the depths, he's there. If I get out on the ocean, he's there. If I climb up a mountain, he's there. If I dig a hole and crawl in it, he's there. If I'm in the hospital, he's there. If I'm at work in that cubicle, he's there. If I'm driving on the highway on 24, he's there. He's there. There's nowhere you can go to escape the circumference of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's there. And that's such a blessing. When you approach the end of your life, the end of this earthly life, you're still going to be in a circle. And he's there. And there's, there's no gap. There's no, there's, no, there's no gap at all between this circle and the next circle of life. Right? When you cross from here to there, it's the blink of an eye. It's that quick. You're from this circle to that circle. He's there. You cannot escape the circumference of Christ in all of life. And the fourth thing is, is that when I read this, I realize that Jesus is the caretaker of our soul. Jesus is the caretaker of our soul. He's there to take care of your soul. He's there to take care of it for all eternity. When you weep, he weeps with you. When you rejoice, he rejoices with you. When you're sad, he brings you comfort. When you're grieving, he comes and grieves with you. Jesus knows how to weep. Shortest verse in the Bible, right? John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. He knows how to do that. He's the caretaker of our souls. So tomorrow, this week, when you hit that bump in the road, just know that Jesus is your caretaker. He's the caretaker of your soul. And just cry out to him. I, I need you to take care of me today. And he'll say, okay, I got this. I got this. I got this. So where is Jesus right now? Jesus is exactly where he needs to be. Jesus is exactly where he's supposed to be. Jesus is in heaven and he's in your heart. No better place for Jesus than in heaven and in your heart simultaneously. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? Let's share communion today to signify that and to celebrate that, that Jesus 
is here with us and in heaven right now with us. That he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That he died for our sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for our sins. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's always praying for us. He's always got our back. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and for our sins. I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for being the bravest man that I know. You took upon yourself the sin, the degradation, the horror of this world. You took everything into yourself when you died on the cross. You're the bravest, bravest man that I know. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us all things. So come and teach us now. Holy Spirit, I pray for the person here who is without Christ, who has never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would say yes to Jesus today. That they would say, Jesus, save me. I cannot save myself. I pray for every believer today that has a doubt or a fear, something troubling them in their life that you would come and comfort them in the Holy Spirit, come and teach them, comfort them, take care of their soul this morning. And as we share communion together, as we share the elements of the Lord's Supper together, help us to recognize the body of Christ more than we ever have today, and that is one another. But help us to recognize the person of Christ more than we ever have today. For it's in his name that we pray.